How sweet are your words, Lord, and your precepts. Help us to understand them. Help us to hate false ways. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, help us to be attentive uh, when the sermon is preached, Lord. Help us to bring conviction and change to us, Lord. And we pray that you empower our brother to deliver the message so that we may understand it and that we may apply it to our lives. And uh, like he said earlier, living in such a way in this area that we would uh, bring more people to know you um, through this place and so they may hear the word preached. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 11. And I'll be reading verses 30 through, well, verses 29 through 37. John chapter 11, verses 29 through 37. Hear the word of God. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews, who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary rose up quickly and went out, following, went out following her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Come, Lord, and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Amen. Here we have a wonderful picture of a compassionate Christ. His sympathy and concern in the face of death, grief, and grief, sorrow, and unbelief is uh, it's put on display here. When Christ entered into our sinful world from sinless heaven, he wasn't an observer. Right? He, he, he wasn't like the alien in the movies. You know, He's just coming to take pictures and figure out, you know, why we have guns. That's, that's, not, that's not it. He didn't come from heaven just to observe and then to go back and to give a report. 
He entered into the struggle, the turmoil of life. And he entered into, of course, a fallen world. The sinless Son of God plunged himself into our despair that he might rise and raise us in hope and triumph. So there's two, uh, um, two pictures we get here. First, we see a picture of suffering with Christ. So suffering with him, and that's Mary. She's suffering with the Lord. And then the second view that we get is Christ's compassion. So suffering with a compassionate Savior and then the compassion of a suffering Savior. So Martha comes to Jesus. And if you remember when Martha came to Jesus, what she said to him, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus patiently, gently, by proposing truth, by asking questions, he drew from her a wonderful confession of faith. It wasn't really, it may not have been what Jesus wanted her to confess. You're going to raise him from the dead. I know you can do it. But um, it was a confession of faith nonetheless. Now here, after she speaks with Jesus, she, she goes, she Uh, goes off, look at verse um, 29. And when she said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. So she sends sends off and her sister now is coming. Martha, now there's verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And uh, people conjecture, right? Calvin says that Martha requested this so that he wouldn't be harmed. Remember, one of the reasons why Jesus left this region was because the Jews were trying to kill him. But I don't think so. Because remember what he says to his disciples. Look, it's daytime. I'm walking in the day. I'm going down there. And then, you know, Thomas says, let's go die with Jesus. Right? (laughs) So I don't think that's it. My opinion is, I just think he didn't want to start a commotion. Everybody was looking for Jesus. And if he would have showed up there, they would have started bringing sick people and demon-possessed people. It would have been a spectacle. The people who were there would have completely overshadowed what was happening with Martha, with Mary, and with Lazarus, and it would have turned possibly into a huge commotion. And what Jesus wants to do is, he came there specifically to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he wanted his disciples and those who were there to have a courtside seat. Right, Rick? Courtside seat to to what he was about to do. So, in other words, Jesus acts in the interest of others. He always acts in the interest of others. Everything that he does is for the good of, of his people. So he doesn't come. Then the Jews, so so then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went, followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. More than likely as I said last week family and friends, possibly this is a substantial crowd of a, a lot of people. 
And they were there comforting her. As, as we talked about those Jewish traditions, uh, remember, they would hire mourners and people to, to cry. So professional criers. <laughs> Nonetheless, when Mary departs, they follow. And they're granted now this privilege of seeing. They don't, they're going to be granted the privilege of seeing Christ raise Lazarus from the dead. But I think, that's a, that's, that is the most amazing thing. But I think that this picture that now you get here in these verses with Christ weeping is um, is important for them to see also because they, they make a comment about it. And Jesus wants them to understand the weight of his relationship and his love for his people. So they had no idea Jesus had come or where Mary was going. Note that they didn't follow Martha when she left. And you remember the situation when, when, uh, when Martha hears word, where is Mary? Mary's in the house mourning, right? She's on the floor. She's sitting down and she's in the house mourning. She may have been uh, more passionate, maybe more emotional than her sister. And she was just absolutely heartbroken. So they stayed there with her. But now as she leaves, they, they go, they follow along with her. Her, her distress and mourning may have been deeper it might indicate this. And she was weeping. She was there uh, weeping. Even at this place, well, well um, so, sorry, I'm getting a little um, scatterbrained. But we continue. Now, Jesus had come. Jesus comes now. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who saw her in the house, comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep. And this was normal. I, you, you know, for us, that kind of thing is n- not very common, you know, that groups of people show up to a tomb or to a graveside after the person has been buried, to cry. But this kind of weeping, is, is she's weeping over crushed hopes. She hoped that Christ would come in time to raise her son. And this might be something that is just common to the Jewish people. So for example, they have the place of wailing, or the wall of wailing. And Jews will go to these bits of the temple wall that are still erected, and what do they do? They just stand there and cry. They wail, they moan. Some of them don't actually cry, they just moan and weep. And they stick prayers in the wall in hopes that you know, God hears them and rebuilds the temple. And what are they doing? They're weeping over their crushed hopes. We had expected this temple to stand forever. And in a very true sense, Mary is weeping because she hoped that the Savior would come and heal her brother. She was filled with sorrow and absolutely crushed. Mourning and heartache will accompany us in this life. But we should, we should not be surprised when trials of various kinds meet us in this world. And 
we have no need to offer uh, false hope or to give sentimentalism to people. We need not rebuke or correct. One of the greatest things that we can do is allow people to mourn. And we ourselves to mourn. She's never rebuked by Jesus for doing any of this. There's no correction ever offered. But one thing that we must remember is that there is a merciful high priest watching, listening, waiting for us to come to him. And this is what Mary finds. Verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is exactly what Martha said. Yet here, Mary's grief is so great that she falls at the feet of her Savior. And it's not because she's worshiping. It's because she's just heartbroken. This thought must have comfort. This thought, the thought that Christ was going to come and heal Lazarus must have comforted these women. Because they both say exactly the same thing. That must have been their prayers. They must have been praying and hoping Jesus is coming and he is going to, he's going to fix this. He's going to heal Lazarus and he's going to be fine. He healed the blind guy. We've seen him raise people from the dead or heard that he's raised other people from the dead. Our brother's going to be fine. Let's just keep hoping. And he doesn't come. He doesn't come when they want him to. Her grief was so great, all she could do was fall at his feet when she saw him. And J.C. Ryle writes this. He says, the eyes have a great effect on the feelings of the heart. People often bear up pretty well till they see something that, re- that calls upon their thoughts. Right? And she was thinking the whole time, Jesus is coming, he's going to be here, my brother's going to be better. And now she sees Jesus, and her brother's been dead for four days. So all she could do is fall at his feet. But she's making a, a mistake that we make. And it's this. John Trapp put it this way. We are naturally disposed to make too much of Christ's bodily presence. We think that Jesus has to be right here with us to help us. He's got to be holding my hand presently, his body. He's got to be here. He's got to be here to do the things he promises. But that's not the case. Jesus' home is, is heaven. That's where he was before the, well, Christ, or the, or the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, was in heaven before the incarnation. And then he incarnated as a man. He returned to his home in heaven. But now, what do we have? We have a high priest who has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And Because he was here on earth, listen to what the author to the book of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what the incarnation does, in a a very true sense, it brings Christ through human experience. And now that he is in heaven... When we plead and pray, we're pleading and praying to a man who has suffered as we do. 
So the exhortation, right? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The general inclination is when grief gets very great is not to pray, is to look for some earthly solution, somebody here presently to solve my problems. When Christ is in heaven waiting for us to pray to him and to plead with him so that he can respond according to his will and help us. So her sufferings in light of her compassion, Savior, not Christ's compassion. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. It's interesting, there's a lot of um, these two words here in particular. He groaned in his spirit and he was troubled. Um, are not the, the, uh, the easiest to interpret. The word groaned is used at least in four different places in the New Testament. And um, this is one of them. In Matthew 9.30, it's translated this way. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows it. And it's the word sternly there. It's sternly warned, which is, so it's not a very, uh, it's a word that has a very wide, what's called semantic range, which means that it's a word that can have very different meanings, depending on how you, how you use it. In Mark 1.43, it's used this way. He strictly warned him and sent him off at once. So it carries this meaning of um, firmness. J.C. Ryle very helpfully uh, summarizes um, some, of the, some of the various views, and then he lands, uh, I think, very helpfully on a particular position. So he cites many authors. He says some... Consider that the phrase simply expresses the highest and deepest kind of inward agitation of mind. An agitation in which grief, compassion, and holy detestation of sin's work in the world are all mingled and combined. This agitation, however, was entirely inward at present. It was not bodily, but spiritual. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So when we're agitated, what, you know, what do agitated people do? Right, you tap your feet, you crack your knuckles, you wipe your sweat, I guess. Here, uh, And this wasn't that kind of agitation. This was a, a spiritual agitation in the face of, first, Mary and Martha's lack of faith. Because there was a lack of faith there. They believed that Jesus had to be present for him to heal Lazarus. When they, they should have known. Remember the centurion soldier comes. Says to Jesus my son is sick. Jesus says he's, he's fine. Go back home. He's healed. And they, and they should have known all of these things. But again as I talked about last week. Grief kind of blinds you to those theological truths. Because you're suffering. So, so it's not like you, your mind is not working as well as it ought in these difficult times. So partly there's that. But then also in the light of the destruction that sin brings into the world. 
And Jesus sees it. He sees it very vividly. Uh, thirdly, though, it has to do with his love for them. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This agitation, however, was entirely inward at present. He says, I prefer this former one. Though, uh, so, so, and, and I think that's what the point is. Some people interpret this as Jesus was mad. He's angry. He's angry because, uh, note the verse again. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned. Why would he be angry? Why, why would they get him mad? Her brother just died. He's been dead four days. She was hoping and praying for Christ to come and save him. She, she's not omniscient. She's not ever present. She, she doesn't understand the plans and purposes of God. These things are hidden. Christ is coming to do something in particular. It's, this is very similar to the situation with the, the woman of Samaria when Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. I have to go through there because there's a woman there that I'm going to witness to. His disciples didn't understand. If his disciples, his disciples would have said to Jesus, well, Jesus, let's not go that way. That's longer. Why don't we take the shortcut? For Jesus to get mad at them would have actually been sinful because they don't know the hidden plans and purposes of God. So this isn't anger over their weeping. It's, it's an, a spiritual agitation over the events that are unfolding. And then it says that he was troubled. Look at verse 30. Three. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He was this this situation bothered him. And this of course is an indication of our Savior's humanity. He was a man. Sometimes what's communicated about Jesus is that he's sort of like this uh, he was a sinless robot walking around the world never bothered by anything or anyone. No. These events, when they came into the life of Jesus, he was disturbed by them, as any man would. He was a, a real man. So he is, he groans in his spirit. He's troubled strongly. And what does he say to them? Where have you laid him? Immediately now, Jesus sees the situation, and what does he do? He's gonna act. He's gonna act. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Here, again, right, this is another indication that this wasn't anger with unbelief or uh, frustration with um, the way that they're handling things. The, the woman's brother just died, and she was hoping and praying that you'd come to save him. So now Jesus' inward agitation turns into sorrow. And he weeps over the death of Lazarus. And then Jesus says, then the Jews say, said, see how he loved him. And this really, uh, again, another picture of our Savior. This is how he feels towards us. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read this. You could turn there with me. Hebrews 2, 17. 
Hebrews 4, I read previously, Hebrews 2, that, that entire section there focuses upon the priesthood of Christ. This statement introduces him as a priest, and that one in chapter 4 concludes, his, um, concludes um, that section. So in 2, 17 through 18, it says this. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. In all things. So, his brethren is his people. So, if you consider Christ's people, how many of us will experience the death of a loved one? Every one of us. Every one of us will. In all things, he had to be made like his brethren. So, when, when a person is grieving over the death of someone they love, maybe a spouse, a child, a close family member, a close friend, the expression, or to say nobody knows how I'm feeling, is wholly unbiblical. Because Christ does. Someone he loved dearly died. And he entered into that suffering. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. So that as he ministers and he serves his people, there's no alienation between the feelings of his people and his own. He understands what it is to grieve and to be troubled over the death of someone we love. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And this is the Christ then that weeps for the death of Lazarus, for Mary, for Martha, and for the crowds that are there. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. Right? This uh, expression, this open expression, displayed his love for Lazarus. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And what is the answer? Yes, absolutely, he could have. And we'll see what he does next week. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you again, Lord, for your word and for this a picture of what, what it is to suffer with a compassionate Savior, Lord. We can uh, speak to him openly, candidly. We can not only speak to him openly and candidly, Lord, we can express the thoughts of our hearts, our disappointments, as Mary and Martha do. And he offers no rebuke and no correction, but he entered into their suffering. And Lord, we thank you for this display of his compassion for his people. How wonderful it is to know, Lord, that you, you have suffered and you know what suffering is like. You know what it is to be a man in this sin-cursed world. And to add to that, to be a sinless man, to be a man who obey God perfectly and to still have to go through these same 
circumstances that fallen humans do. And with perfect and holy grief and compassion to suffer with your people. What a blessing it is to know that this is who you are, Lord. I pray that these pictures would compel us to worship you and to love you wholeheartedly, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.